out there welcome to the podcast i'm gonna ask you to lower the wand you wield and that sword and shield because we've got another great episode of the young grognard podcast coming to you uh and that is me the young grognard grognard the young but i got a really cool idea for you guys uh today uh i was listening to old man grognard talking about his uh campaign setting um, if you look up, uh, Radio Grognard, another podcast, real great guy, always plug in my show. But, what we're gonna talk about today is a really neat idea that I've seen tossed around by a couple of people when we talk about making a campaign setting, or making your world really stand out. And, you know, this is a thing that pops up a lot for a lot of people, and when they're dungeon masters making a game world, and... I kind of have a few mixed emotions on it. I know as a player, sometimes people feel the need to vocalize their opinion that they think that the campaign worlds they play in are a little bit stale, but, you know, and they, they make some sort of a call that they need to have, you know, a more exciting world or, or, or a world that has a little bit more of a unique approach to it. And I see this being the reason for why a lot of people get so deeply invested in things like Eberron or... You know, basically getting away from the concept of uh, the Forgotten Realms being kind of the vanilla cookie-cutter thing. But, frankly, I honestly think that having a campaign world kind of like the Forgotten Realms is... You know, obviously people say that it's very vanilla and it's very boring and bland and very human fighter of a, of a campaign setting, if you will. But frankly, I kind of dig that because from that cliche bed, from that concept of it being very like simplistic and done before, you're able to do weird little things that will stand out so much more. It's kind of like if somebody was to prepare for you a lasagna, you know, or, or some other dish that's complicated enough with enough moving parts that... It's it's hard to mess that up if you follow the instructions, but trying to do it very uniquely, you might not get the lasagna appeal. Like if you were to do, I don't know, lasagna and use, I don't know, maybe some sort of alternative meat, uh, you know, from what I'm used to with the beef or, or veal or something like that. If you were to swap to some other meat alternative and instead you were to do just this real different approach to lasagna because you really wanted to shake things up. Like I'm, I'm imagining chopped right now in, in my head with people, you know, doing a uh, uh, sort of a disassembled or, or a uh, deconstructed lasagna with all the different ingredients spread across a plate. But the point I'm trying to get at here is that when you're doing a campaign world and you're making a new world, I don't think it's all that important to have to reinvent the wheel with it. I think you can get away with having things be very similar to pretty much all the cliches and everything anybody expects. But I think that if you add some small changes, you can really make it 
noticeable when things are different. And that sort of thing is what players can cling to as, okay, everything's pretty expected, everything's pretty typical, but there's that one difference that makes it really pop and makes it really stand out. And you can generate a lot of really, I don't know, comfortable buzz. But if you're in this weird sci-fi world where there's no real hard rules on how things are supposed to be or what the technology level is, yada, 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 it can be kind of hard as a player, in my experience, to sort of, I don't know, grasp that and to really get invested in it because I don't really know what the world's capable of and I don't know what's going on, so sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. But here's something that I want to talk about that I think is wicked neat idea and um, I think it adds a lot of complexity to a world in a way that's kind of intriguing. I don't know how in the long run how well it would pan out, but follow me on this. Imagine you're in a typical fantasy world, pretty decent level of magic, you know, the world has a lot of magic in it, everybody has an idea of some sort of legendary magical figure, there's gods who answer prayers, um, but there's, you know, not like flying carpets, transportation, it's not like everybody's got magic in their home, it's a decent Tolkien-flavored kind of world. But here's the difference, instead of having dwarves and halflings and elves and the typical fair uh, uh, sort of populating the goodly races. What if dwarves, elves, and halflings were actually the evil races, and the goodly races were actually things more like goblinoids and orcs and, I don't know, lizard folk and kobolds? Like, imagine if you were to take the essence of each one of the typically understood racial sort of designs for each one of these things and you were to invert it so that the evil would become good and the good would become evil okay so and it's an interesting i don't know i guess i'd say creativity exercise to take things that are good and turn them evil i think also of the uh, ultima series um uh, the rpg video games where i can't remember exactly which game but in one iteration there's sort of this list of tenets that are set forward as the way to live the good life and each one represents kind of you know one of those basic principles of goodliness but in the future i think this is how the storyline goes it's kind of convoluted but the idea that when you take those good concepts and push them to their limits they actually become evil you know so let's take for instance the concept of dwarves being really i don't know great craftsmen who are dedicated to their wealth and dedicated to preserving their names like i mean that alone with everything I said already about making it more evil, it's so easy to imagine, like, villainous dwarves. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, and I apologize to whomever this idea belongs to. It's a great idea, but I remember somebody mentioning one time the idea of having sort of neutral dwarves who, at one point in time, because of their mercantile bend, had helped buy slaves, I think it was, and they were part of this massive slave trade just because it benefited them economically speaking and when it came time to free the slaves they did willingly you know cut their losses and made the money that they had to but they don't really apologize for what they did because they don't see anything wrong with it their greed sort of blinded them on that issue but what i love about this idea is that you can take the concept of a dwarf which everybody has a basic idea of this scottish speaking warhammer swinging guy and just make it a little darker and a little bit more evil bent you know and it's not hard to do but think about what that does for our world 
And even if all you do is just shift the dwarves, which in the example I provided, and again, I apologize to whomever I got this idea from, but like even just with one race being evil, and I think that's the way that the person presented it originally, it adds so much flavor to the world because you think there must be one player out there who's playing a dwarf and they don't really want to pay attention to all the fluff going on in the world. But when the time comes that, you know, the dwarf is among people who have ancestors that were once slaves, that dwarf, even though they might be good, has a heritage of evil behind them. It's kind of like when you have a half-orc character in the party, they have nothing to do with the crimes of their orcish, you know, uh, forefathers. But still they somehow manage to carry the burden of what the evil has been done before them, you know? Now let's take another example, and this one might be a little bit difficult to pull off, but how do you make a halfling evil? And typically when we think of halflings, they're seen to be kind of tricksters and sneaky, but I like to think in my heart that the Tolkien-styled, lethargic and fun-loving and, and pleasantry-enjoying individuals are like the true essence of a halfling, and that whole thievery part of it is just kind of a... I don't know, just sort of a, a taking advantage of skills that they have, right? But we can imagine all that sneaky stuff aside, the way to make these people evil is to sort of turn their lethargy and hedonistic outlook into, I don't know, kind of an overboard hedonistic outlook. Now, I think also about the game Overlord, it was a Xbox game, uh, I believe Xbox 360, where the idea that there was, I think, I can't remember what they called them, but I think they were just halflings, but I just remember there was like this mayor or duke or prince or something that was a halfling, but he was just a giant overblown beach ball of a character. And I think to myself, if you wanted to make evil halflings, you could almost play them like the ogres of Warhammer and have them just with an undying hunger. Now imagine how weirdly hilarious and scary a campaign setting would be if halflings were known to be cursed with a never-ending hunger and a, and a lust for consumption that, like, was supernatural, that halflings ate, like, 12 meals a day because if they didn't, they would starve. Now, imagine being a king or being a hero in a certain region where, <laughs> even saying this out loud, I'm, I'm just spitballing this idea right now off the top of my head, but imagine being a group of adventurers who hears that there's a clan of halflings who are starving and coming from the, from the west and traveling to your kingdom and they're hungry and they come in like locusts and they just eat everything. Like, I know that's kind of silly to think about. Honestly, I'm cracking like the hugest grin right now just imagining all these like, food-stained faces and all these little pudgy halflings running around eating everything in sight, but in a weird way, that makes for a brilliant evil villain, especially if they believe that their hunger is is somehow like a holy vestige or some sign of their godliness or something, and they're on like a holy mission of hunger where they have to consume and and just keep going and marching and eating and eating. You know, like that just makes for such an interesting bend, especially if it's just some sort of a curse in your world where halflings maybe, I don't know, you could, I'm again spitballing off the top of my head, mostly because I'm just wicked eager about this idea and I might actually run with it in the next campaign I do, but imagine if, if the halflings 
who are cursed by their god for being too lazy instead of being pious. And instead of praying to their god, they took naps. And instead of having holy ceremonies, they ate feasts. And maybe their, their god abandoned them and cursed them all with an undying hunger and said that, you know, if that's what it is you hold above me in life, so be it. You shall forever hold this above me and carry this as your burden forever. That makes for a wicked cool campaign if it's all about seeking atonement for the halflings with some great righteous pious task, you know? But in any case, so let's let's flip this coin over, okay? Let's imagine instead that we're looking at our humans who live amongst orcs and goblin folk. And these orcs and goblins have to be considered goodly races, or at least neutral to some extent, you know? And I think the first thing that comes to mind for me of how to do this is with, with how Warcraft managed to pull this off. And I know a lot of people are pretty familiar with Warcraft, and forgive me if I'm wrong in any of this, because I'm not obviously as well-versed as anybody else out there, but the way I always pictured the division between the two factions was that the Alliance was sort of your typical goodly group, and the Horde was sort of this interesting bend where they were almost, they were anti-heroes. But I even asked the question of what part of it was anti-heroic. And obviously people know all the lore behind it, and there's very specific instances of, oh, well, so-and-so assassinated so-and-so, or so-and-so betrayed so-and-so. I don't really care about that to that extent. I care more almost about the uh, general spirit of, of either side of, or other faction. And I think to myself why the Horde is so cool is because above goodness, they hold, like, honor to be the most important part. And that's a great way of taking these quote-unquote evil races and making them good, is what if you set aside the idea that instead of them being good in a typical paladin or cleric kind of way, and instead make their goodliness come from a place of egalitarianism or, or you know, a, a bend on equality and treating everybody with respect and a sense of justice being swift and being direct and the idea that everybody's word is, you know, a bond in steel and the idea of these people who are just really stick by their word. They don't really have many written laws because they believe that any law worth holding is one that everybody would have a gut feeling about. You know what I mean? They don't keep track of these with big books to, to have legal battles with and instead you know these races uphold goodliness that makes sense for each and every trial and each and every session of justice and it's really neat because it makes them seem like a really proud people you know and it makes them seem less like they harass caravans and instead makes them seem more like they stick their nose to the ground and they're hard at work and every job worth doing is worth giving your all and I love that idea. It makes these these orcs and these goblins and these people seem like, you know, hardworking, strong individuals. But I think that that speaks almost more to 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 orcs than anybody else. That and hobgoblins, perhaps. But I think that, especially hobgoblins. Now that I say it, I always picture hobgoblins having sort of a um, like a feudalistic styled government, a very militaristic sort of thing. Uh, uh, a hierarchy of, of classes based on your military ranking or something like that. But in any case, how can we take something like goblins and make them into a goodly race? Now, off the top of my head, one thing that I've seen passed around through the different editions is the idea that goblins have a very strong system of 
of tribalism and they firmly believe in having like their clan stick together since they're the smallest and the meek and the meager ones out of the goblin family including things like bugbears hobgoblins etc it makes sense that goblins would only survive by sticking together but i also love the idea that you know comes along with warhammer fantasy again is the idea of their sort of fanaticism and their their lust for for piety and their desire to kind of appease those bigger than themselves in order to be rewarded you know maybe out of fear they do it or or however you want to put it but the idea that they're sort of like a fervently religious group but what if you make their god something more neutral like if you take the moon and have goblins worship the moon and that's like their big cultural identity is that all things pertaining to the moon so they love astrology astronomy they love following like mathematics based on the solar patterns and and celestial body movements what if they're great mathematicians you know and it's all like this big religious thing that their gods bestow them a system of mathematics based on how the stars and the moon react to one another and you get this really interesting, like, I could picture these guys being great wizards for that reason, and having these stoic little class of, of very religious and very, you know, intelligent little guys that protect their secrets with their race, almost in a way kind of akin to the elves, you know? And what's funny is how many parallels there are between these two groups and the good and the evil, so to speak. But, yeah, and I think the last one I'm going to end on is how we would make something like lizard folk into a goodly race and lizard folk kind of perplex me a little bit in this regard one because i think troglodytes kind of fit in along these guys but if you do that then lizard folk troglodytes kuatoa or these races all start to kind of blend together a little bit but just for simplicity let's say all the scaly guys all the all the lizard folk all those big reptile people how do you make them into a goodly race? Now, this is going to kind of beg the question that I have in the first place with any of this, and that is, are elves really that good? Are any of these races truly good in the first place? And I, I guess maybe this is my Tolkien fan speaking, but I, I almost feel like, you know, wood elves as a, as a general concept kind of always strike me as being very neutral. And they walk that line of protecting themselves and shrouded in secrecy and, and kind of just enjoying the fact they're out of the eye of the general public and the other races. And I could feel that way about lizard folk too. And this is where the concept of the orcs having their pride and their honor comes back to me because I can picture the lizard folk living a very sort of humble lifestyle out in the swamps and in the forests and, and wherever they may be and just kind of keeping to themselves. But when travelers venture through, maybe have a strange philosophy, uh, philosophy, yes, philosophy, um, a philosophy of how to handle travelers or, or guests or strangers. Now, what if the lizard folk know that it's difficult to make a living out here in these sort of inhospitable environments? And maybe for that reason, they have a firm philosophy about taking care of travelers and the idea that maybe lizard folk for this reason have sort of like, I don't want to say a Chewbacca styled like life debt that they can give to people. But imagine if lizard folk were these like hard mercenary kind of people who were, and this almost makes me think of uh, Zabrak from the Star Wars universe, uh, Darth Maul being the most famous example of a Zabrak where they're sort of just like people, but they're sort of 
way more obsessive about their goals and they get so driven to the point of almost you know fanaticism or obsession so i like the idea that maybe lizard folk behave in this way and they get a real one-track mind you know i know a lot of people are going to say dragonborn pretty much fit that but what if you take the haughtiness out of out of dragonborn and get rid of that kind of charismatic drive there and instead instill them with a sense of wisdom that they're sort of these real rustic and and woodsy individuals who get by off simplicity and the simple thought. You know what I mean? They're good at what they do. They're great hunters and trackers and bounty hunters. They're proud warriors, but they never pride themselves on being overly intelligent. Instead, they believe that like their, I don't know, the greatness of their mind exists with, I don't know, that knee-jerk response, that, that sort of their senses, their intuitions being where true intelligence comes from. You know, the idea that you could potentially train a dog to do math in any way and that says so little about what math does but a dog's intelligence lies in its ability to protect its family and find itself shelter and maybe lizard folk feel that way too and i like the idea of them being kind of like chewbacca or you know having that wookie life debt because you can imagine them sort of having this idea that having friends is worth so much more than having your life. And the idea that you are always going to be part of a group, you're always going to be a part of some larger body amount out there beyond yourself. And to think that your life is worth more than anyone else around you is not only a selfish idea, but one that's kind of almost directly against their sense of survival. So take with those ideas what you will. I frankly loved this topic, and I'm definitely going to play with those those halflings. That's just such a wonderful idea. It's so silly, but it's just so freaking funny to me in some way. But in any case, you know, I love this topic, and I'm probably going to talk a little bit more about this later. Um, maybe I'll do a part two if I get some cool ideas. But in any case, I hope this gives you guys food for thought. Uh, be sure to go check out uh, the uh, Radio Grognard. Go check him out. He's got some great stuff. But um, in the end, yeah, uh, Dungeon Masters, appreciate your players. Players, appreciate your Dungeon Master. I hope you guys have had great holiday season. I hope everything's great for you guys. And I hope you all have a wonderful start to your healthy new year. But uh, that's me signing out. See you later.